Welcome to Monday through Friday, Cellular Agriculture for a Pandemic for the Future. My name is George Ortega. This is episode number 44. I'm recording it on Sunday, September 6th, 2020 at 8.53 p.m. Eastern Time. And I hope you're enjoying your Labor Day Monday. Um, for today, I thought we'd go back to the basics, just go through the points of why why we need to you know, transition from farming animals to uh, cellular agriculture and what cellular agriculture is. And uh, all right, so basically this pandemic, this coronavirus is a zoonotic disease, a zoonotic infectious contagious disease. And the zoonotic disease is simply a disease that is transmitted from animals to uh, humans. Uh, this particular one is supposed to have been started by a bat and then the bat somehow transmitted the disease to one of the animals in a wet market, um, animal food market where the animals are live in Wuhan, China, and then it was transmitted to humans. Um, all the all the major pandemics throughout the world, uh, virtually all of them, not all of them, um, have been zoonotic diseases. You have swine flus, <laughs> avian flus, Ebola, HIV AIDS. There are a lot of, of different um, pandemics that, um, that have um, plagued us over, actually over millennium. And, um, and so because, because our population is increasing and more people are eating meat, meaning there, there are more farms in operation. And because of that, because of more people, we've shifted from a relatively safer family farm model where there are a lot of small <laughs> farms everywhere, to a model where there are these huge farms um, that, that basically, <laughs> they just like, they don't consider these animals living sentient beings. To them, you know, to these factory farms, these animals are just like machines, you know, they don't treat them like, like lives. And because of the unsanitary conditions in these factory farms. The threat of future pandemics is, is growing uh, very, very rapidly actually. And, um, and so basically, if we want to um, create a world as free as possible, from future pandemics, there, there's no other way than to transition from farming animals, especially in these factory farms, but also in these family farms that, you know, I believe the 1918 Spanish flu, which killed 50 to 100 million people, was not started in a factory farm. It was started in a family farm. So that should tell you something. So in order, again, for our world to, um, to be safe of future pandemics, there is no other 
way for us to be safe but to end the farming of animals, both family farms and factory farms. Um, so, I mean, there, there's theoretically one other way, but that's at least 10, 20, perhaps 30 or 40 years away. Right, right now, we, we tend to develop vaccines for epidemics and pandemics that emerge. In other words, like, you know, there's an outbreak somewhere in the world, our epidemiologists, infectious disease experts find out about it, let's say it turns into an epidemic or a pandemic, and then they look, they start trying to find a vaccine for it. So it's kind of, it's not a proactive kind of model. It's after the fact, it's not really preventing um, the, uh, the disease. So we have to, in addition to that, because that's important, but you know, this preventing pandemics is about basically with, with vaccines, developing universal vaccines. For example, like with this coronavirus, um, we're developing a vaccine for it now, and it may be available um, at the beginning of the next year. Um, but the nature of these viruses is that they mutate. So because of this, that vaccine may not be effective for a year or, or two years. It, it has a limited time because, the, again, the vaccines will mutate, and then we have to <clears throat> develop or tweak that vaccine to, um, to correspond with the development the mutation of the um, of the virus. So, um, but again, this to develop a universal vaccine that, let's say, would would be effective against um, influenza, coronaviruses, other different kinds of strains of virus, and they have different. You know, there's the H1N1 um, varieties. There's, I think, about eighteen of them, and. You know, ideally, a universal virus, um, vaccine virus, would be effective against all of them. Um, that's probably exceedingly difficult. So we may have to eventually find, let's say, three or four semi-universal, nearly universal vaccines that, that work on a lot of them. Um, the challenges in that are such that um, it, it will probably take us uh, 10, 20, 30 years, you know, if, if we're lucky, you know, to develop, to develop those kinds of vaccines. It's, it's, it's a much, much more difficult technological challenge than, than going with cellular agriculture, um, to, to, than, than ending the farming of animals and, um, and then switching, you know, to cellular agriculture for our meat, fish, dairy. Um, so now you may have heard from politicians, from the media, that this coronavirus is a one in 100 year event. That, you know, we, <clears throat> we've gone through this one so, and then that, they based that on like the 1918 pandemic that I mentioned that, you know, um, killed so many people. 
but um, I want to show you, I want to share my screen, and I guess for the, the podcast, I'll you know, be explaining this um, you know, orderly also. So um, I'm going to share my screen and show you something, why, why that assessment is so wrong. Okay, so you hear you have a chart, and it's from a, a wiki list of epidemics, and you can just access it um, easily on, online. And I've just like broken it down into you know number of epidemics first in the first millennium the second millennium the last century the first decade of this the 2000s and the second decade so let's go through this and you'll see why um we should not consider this a one in 100 year event so like <laughs> the first millennium you know from you know um year zero to year 1000 of the common era there were eight, just eight epidemics. What explains that is that, um, well, they didn't have air travel. You know, there was, the population was much less. They certainly didn't have factory farms. They didn't, they didn't um, invade the rainforests. And when, when you invade rainforests, what happens is that the animals that are there come closer to humanity, you know, come closer. And so like, they, they suspect that, um, HIV AIDS, which um, was supposed to have been caused by a chimpanzee, may have been the result of this, you know, this, you know, basically cutting down of the Amazon rainforest. Um, so anyway, so like the first millennium, first a thousand years, eight, okay? Now we get, go to the second from, uh, from the year 1000, to the year and we're not going to go to the entire to 2000 because like you know you're going to see something happen the last century of this second um millennium um so from from 1000 to 1900 as you'll see on this graph you know there were 126 pandemics okay and as you see in the chart they start going up in the 1500s you know 1500 1600 there's 11 16 to 1,700, 24, 17 to 1,833, 18 to 1,955. And what accounts for that is that was um, the time in the 1500s where explorers, you know, started traveling the world in these big ships. That's, you know, that was around the time Columbus discovered America. And so there was, we didn't have, airline flights back then, but the ships, you know, basically allowed people to travel throughout the world. And when people traveled throughout the world, they spread whatever disease they had throughout the world. All right. So again, you go from eight to 126. That's like an eight, a 12 fold increase over 12 fold increase in the number of, um, of epidemics per 1,000 years, but now let's go from 1,000 years to, to this last century, not, not, the, not the, this new millennium, but the 1900s. Um, and we see on the graph again, we, in, in just one century, we had 40 epidemics. So that's, that's about one third of, of, you know, in 100 years of the pandemics we had, in the whole thousand years before that, 
you know, which was like 12 times more than we had in the, uh, in the millennium before that. <laughs> you can see where this is going. All right, so, um, so now let's go into the 2000s, okay? Um, not, not, you know, not the next century. I mean, it's gonna take us a while to get to, uh, to 2100, but just in the first decade of the 2000s, we had 42 epidemics, which is more than we had in the entire last century. Okay, and again, that's like one third of what we had in the entire millennium before that. And, you know, then, um, then in the second uh, decade of the 2000s, um, we, we had uh, 27 epidemics. And, and the reason that wasn't higher, one of the reasons is that in 2020, we, we've only had one epidemic so far, and that is COVID-19 that has turned into a pandemic. You know, some of these epidemics have turned into pandemics or were pandemics. So we have 27, you know, so basically, if you see this chart, you understand that the risk is growing. Okay, the risk is growing. This is not a one in 100 year event. I'm gonna stop sharing the screen. Okay. Um, again, what accounts for this? There, there are about 4 billion passenger flights, flights, not people traveling, passenger flights each year. And that's going up. I, you know, I've got a chart on that, but it's, you know, it's a similar kind of like a increase in, 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 in frequency rate of flights per year, per decade. It's, it's skyrocketing. And that along with um, the greater population, you know, again, this is like, so this is not a one in 100 year event. Um, so, what is cellular agriculture? Cellular agriculture is a, a way to create our meat, fish, dairy, eggs, seafood that firstly doesn't involve any cruelty. And that's an important point that I'll get to. But more importantly, in this context, is relatively, I'd say 99% I mean, I've heard somebody say, you know, uh, an expert say it's, you know, it'll, it by that it the transition, you know, in other words, if, if we're growing our, our meat through cellular agriculture rather than factory farms and farms, you know, we'll be 99% safer. Um, so that that's the great advantage. So and and this this technology is relatively simple. I mean. <laughs> What they do is they, they, they um, take a, a small biopsy from, from a cow or a chicken. They can even take it, you know, um, a biopsy from the, the feather of a chicken. So, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's essentially, it's virtually harmless to animals. You know, it's cruelty free. Okay, so they take this biopsy, some cells, they put it in, in a medium, a growth medium, and they trick it into believing that it's still in the cell, in, in the animal rather. And so these, these cells do what they do. They'll, they'll multiply, replicate, you know, over and over and over. And so like, you know, theoretically with one of these cells, you can grow a, a million tons of whatever kind of meat you'd like. Um, and that's, that's the gist of it. That's, that's basically what cellular agriculture is about. Now there's other, there's acellular agriculture. There are different, um, 
<laughs> there is like um, 3D printing of these foods, which is, you know, I don't think we need to, to get into that kind of complexity. But the important thing to know about this method of growing our meat, fish, and dairy, not only will it keep us virtually pandemic risk free, it's also much, much healthier than the meat and fish and eggs and dairy we consume now. Um, our, you know, the number one cause of heart disease in the United States is, the, the, the number one cause of death in the United States is heart disease. And the number one cause of heart disease is meat consumption. And so, you know, that comes from the cholesterol saturated fats. So the wonderful thing about this technology, this new technology, is that we can grow these lab-grown, they're, they're called lab-grown, uh, cell-based, clean meat, cultured meat. We can grow these new meat products substituting, for example, healthier fats. Instead of um, saturated fats, they can grow with, let's say, the very healthy omega-3 fats. Um, these, these cellular agriculture products are also much more sanitary. I mean, if, if you eat meat and dairy and, and eggs, um, especially meat, um, especially chickens, I mean, there's, <coughs> um, you, you're probably eating some feces. There's a lot, you know, they, they, it's, it's very hard to get all the feces off the, the meat because, you know, they, they're basically tearing apart the intestines you know, and all that. Um, and there's also path, other pathogens, you know, that, um, that develop like salmonella, you know, different um, diseases that we get from these farm-grown animals through this farming process and slaughter process. And with cellular agriculture, all of that is eliminated. Okay, so like not only can these new products protect us from future pandemics, they can uh, protect us from heart disease. And um, the number two cause of death in the United States, at least, is cancer. And that's been associated with uh, the consumption of meat and dairy and eggs, you know, especially, um, especially processed meats when you have the nitrates, um, you know, the, the cold cuts. So, um, so these, you know, this technology is a wonderful godsend and it developed, you know, we're not going to have time to go through all this, but I'll just go through as much as possible. It, it, it's an idea that, that's been decades in development, that, but they finally, in 2013, got to the point where they, you know, Mark Post, a researcher uh, from Maastricht University in the Netherlands, um, premiered the first lab-grown hamburger patty in London, 2013. And, um, and that, you know, just set off a race now to see who will be the, the, the company that, um, that brings, because like it's one thing to, to demonstrate a proof of concept for the technology, as Mark Post did. It's another thing now to, to meet the research challenges that, that remain to scale up the production so that we can um, have these products in supermarkets and restaurants at affordable prices, you know, prices comparable to what we now pay for meat and fish and dairy. So, so now there are about 40 or 50 startups 
that are trying to make beef, chicken, um, seafood, uh, duck, you know, all the different kinds of meat, you know, there are, there are companies working on that, as well as ice cream and cheese and, you know, the dairy products and the eggs, you know, and, and they're, they're, now here's, here's um, where we are. So right now, at the rate of investment, there's about one and a half billion dollars invested in this new industry, which is a lot, you know, I mean, this is like, you know, again, it just started in 2013. But at the rate of investment, we may have to wait over 10 years for these research challenges to be met. Okay, and the thing, the problem with that is like, you know, I don't know if it's going to be a year or two. I don't know how long it'll take for us to not need to wear masks anymore. But, you know, there will come a time and God willing, it'll be, you know, soon, perhaps within this next year. But, but if this new technology is going to take us 10, perhaps 15 years to scale up to production so that we have these products available in supermarkets and restaurants, you know, that's going to leave us vulnerable for eight, nine, 10 years. And we haven't been that lucky. You know, look who we have as our president. I mean, that should tell you everything. But this, this pandemic, um, it has cost us um, the Congressional Budget Office, estimated in, in May, it was published in an article in um, Forbes in June, that this coronavirus will probably cost the United States about $8 trillion. Okay. <laughs> That's, that's a lot of money. So, um, and, and you, know, there, you know, there have been millions of cases of coronavirus, you know, hundreds of thousands of deaths. Um, I'm not sure if we're over a million yet, but, um, but it's caused such, a, such havoc on, on, on our lives, our social lives, our economic lives, you know, our scientists, our, you know, artistic lives, you know, the, the theaters are, are can't function, you know, restaurants are, are out of business, they, they can't function. It's really disrupted our entire society. Um, and so, so the, 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 uh, the point of this series is that, okay, well, if you've been following the vaccine development, you, you, you'll, you'll understand that we've been pumping a lot of money into developing a vaccine. The United States and other countries have been like, even um, funding these pharmaceuticals, you know, giving them grants to, to fast track this research. And so like with a vaccine, you know, the fastest a vaccine has ever been developed was in 1957, after the 1957 pandemic. And that took four years, okay? Uh, ordinarily it takes about 10, 15, 20 years to develop a vaccine, if they're lucky. We, we still don't have one for HIV AIDS. So the idea is if we can, do in one year or two what ordinarily takes 10 or 20 years developing a vaccine, which is a much, much harder process. We can meet these cellular agriculture research challenges in perhaps two or three years instead of 10 or 15, and we will thereby, again, create a, a virtually pandemic-free world. So I, you know, I've been promoting this figure of $50 billion. I mean, it could be, could be much higher, but I believe $50 billion would, would be sufficient to, 
to, to meet the cost of this research. It would just basically attract a lot of top quality research, you know, researchers and resources to this effort. Um, $50 billion may seem like a lot to you until you compare it to what this pandemic will cost us, which is, again, $8 trillion, just the United States, not the rest of the world. And um, so that's about one half of 1% of what this pandemic is, is costing us. Now, how much, you know, um, you want to compare that to what we, let's say, pay for homeowners insurance? You have an average person buys a home, let's say, for $220,000, $220,000. Um, and they're paying $1,000 a year in, in homeowners insurance against, you know, they're protecting themselves against, you know, events that virtually never happen. You know, this, the loss of a home, you know, like tornadoes or fires, whatever it is, um, loss of, you know. And, um, and so the average homeowner pays over a 10-year period, even, it's not just a year, um, about 4.5% of the cost of their house to insure their house against loss that, that again, almost never happens. So, so if we were gonna like, you know, if we care more about our world, about our economy, about our lives than the average homeowner, homeowner cares about their home, we would be spending not just $50 billion on fast-tracking this cellular agriculture research, but we'd be spending $350 billion, okay? So you'll see that the $50 billion, you know, it's just not that much, and perhaps we should be spending more. You know, I'm not a researcher, a biologist, biochemist. Perhaps if a biochemist tells us we should be spending 200 billion, then we should listen to them. All right, there's about two minutes left. So basically that's the gist of it. You know, there is no other way for us to prevent um, future pandemics, but vaccines and transitioning from the farming of animals to either going vegan, we could all go vegan. That, that's the ideal, I think, solution. Because like, again, meat and dairy and egg consumption, even from you know, labs with this new technology, is probably not as healthy as going vegan. But you know, if we're gonna be realistic, um, cellular agriculture <laughs> represents our only chance. So, what, you know, what we'll, you know, right now we're still in this pandemic and we're still caught up in it, you know, and, but as we begin to emerge, the conversation will begin about, well, what are we going to do to prevent the next one? It really should begin this election cycle. It should begin between now and November, and God willing, it will. But when that happens, it's going to be abundantly clear to everyone that, yes, we better pump a lot of billion dollars into this new research to fast track it so we'll be safe. Okay, that is the gist of it. That's the basic, you know, that's what you need to know. Um, I'm gonna, you know, go into a lot of the other details and other programs, but that's it. All right, so thanks for watching. Um, watch this every Monday through Friday on White Plains Community Media Channel 76, Optimum 45 Horizon. It's also in video on YouTube and it's on iTunes as a podcast and it's Spotify and uh, several other um, podcast platforms in, in audio version. And uh, yeah, so that's, you know, I'm going to keep, you know, this is episode number 44. I'm going to keep producing these until, until I, you know, I start scouring the, the news and, you know, CBS, NBC, New York Times, Washington Post, all have articles, not just on the, the link between pandemics and factory farming, 
but on cellular agriculture. Okay, thanks for watching and God willing, I'll see you again tomorrow.